Thank you very much, Amanda. So important to know the whole story. 
Christ, eternal Christ in heaven, Christ, virgin born, comes to the earth, lives a sinless life, Christ betrayed, Christ denied, Christ tried, Christ crucified, Christ buried, Christ living, arose, Christ appearing to his followers, Christ ascending back to heaven, exalted at the Father's right hand, and then Christ coming again. How could Christ come back a second time if he didn't come back from the grave? That'll be a part of the message tonight. Why don't you take your Bibles, please, if you will, and go to Matthew chapter 28. It'll be a couple of moments before we get there. The first passage we're going to look at this morning will be in Matthew chapter 28, the first book of the New Testament. Let me introduce the message by saying that I sat down to prepare for this message and I decided that I would not go to my computer and pull up any message I'd preached before on Easter. I have probably, I know I've preached at least 60 Easter messages, I'm sure, probably more. Sometimes I preach uh, another Easter message the week after Easter. But I said, no, don't go to your computer and look, look at any message you've ever preached on Easter. I don't, I don't, I rarely do that anyway. Uh, it is easy, I know, for some pastors to preach the same messages every five years. I was staying in a pastor's house one time long, long time ago, and he said, listen, uh, we're going to be out of town, and I want you to use my study uh, for your studying, and you just go on in there and use my, my study. So I've been working on messages, and so I, they left town. I went in to do my studying, and right in front of me on the desk was a stack of messages, and as I looked at the messages, it was interesting. At the top on the right-hand corner, it gave the dates when he preached those messages, and they were all like four years apart, okay? So I said, hmm, if I'm reading this right, he's preaching the same messages every four years, okay? Now, I don't know if he did or not, but those were the dates that were on the messages of when he preached those messages. Rarely do I ever preach a message that I've preached before. I don't have a problem with somebody doing that, and I've preached a few. It just never seems right to me. It just does not seem right for me to preach something I've already preached for whatever reason. And so I thought, well, don't even turn on your computer. Don't even tempt yourself. So then I thought, well, where do we start? I went up to, the, I went up to my uh, bookshelves, and I went to my section on Bible doctrines books. And I got out, I think, four of my many Bible doctrines books, and I looked at the sections on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You ever done that? Just get out a Bible doctrines book and go to the section on Christology, the study of Christ, and find the section on the resurrection and you are going to find that as you read, there are, there's not just a few. There's not just a couple, not just a few. It's not that there's many. It's not like there's a few dozen. There are hundreds and hundreds of verses in the Bible that have something to say about the fact that Christ is alive, that Christ arose, the resurrection of Christ. And I'm standing there by my bookshelves looking at these Bible doctrines books, looking at the section on the resurrection of Christ. And I mean, it was like, I tell you, it was like an overwhelming thought. It's like, where would you ever begin? And I'm going to preach Sunday morning on Christ arose. I'm going to preach Sunday night, another Easter message. Christ arose. Christ is alive. Where would you start when you look at all these hundreds and hundreds of Bible verses? It's like, it's incredible. It's an awesome thought. Then I thought, you know what? I'm just going to make believe. I closed all the books. I'm going to, I'm going to set out my desk. I'm just going to make believe that I'm a brand new Christian, that I've just been recently saved, all I really know is the plan of salvation. 
I don't know a lot of extra details, but I know that I've been born again. I've been saved now through the Word of God. I'm a Christian, but I don't know much. And so I think I'm going to start a study of the fact that Christ is alive, that Christ arose. Then I had another thought. I thought, no, don't do that. Why don't you make believe that you just became a pastor? That's an interesting thought. Just, just make believe that you just became a pastor. And you are in your very first church. And it's Easter Sunday. And you're going to preach your first two Easter messages. Easter message number one as a pastor. Tonight, Easter message number two as a brand new pastor. And then I thought, why don't you go another step? And why don't you make believe that as a new pastor in your first church, you're preaching to a group of people that know very little, if anything, about the fact that Christ rose from the grave. What do they need to hear? What would be best for them to hear? What would you like to preach? Preaching your first Easter message as a brand new pastor in a church to a small group of people who know very, very little about the subject of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, whatever those two messages would be, I want to preach them today. I want to preach the first one this morning. I preached the second one tonight. Like I've never preached an Easter message in my life and preaching, thinking maybe you never heard one. You know very little, if anything, about it. So as I began to think and look through Easter verses and passages in the Bible, it became very obvious to me that you could take all of the subject of Easter the resurrection of Christ, and for the most part, you could uh, put it all, all, everything you'd read, you could put it into four categories. Most of the verses would fit into one of four categories. Number one, the fact or the reality of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact, the reality that Christ did rise again. Number two, you would read verse that would have to do with the proofs of the resurrection. What's the proof? How do we know for sure that Christ rose again? Number three, the importance of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why is it important? So he rose again. What difference does it make? And then finally, number four, the results of the resurrection. Okay? The reality of the resurrection, the proofs of the resurrection, the importance of the resurrection, and the results of the resurrection. Though those four topics would pretty much take in most of the verses of the Bible about the resurrection of Christ, even perhaps all of them. So what I want to do today is to bring a message on those four things. We're going to combine the last two together. And we're going to keep the first two really short and put the focus on the third and fourth one. In other words, first of all, the reality or the fact that Christ did rise again. Just a few moments on that. Then just a few moments on that second part. What are some proofs? of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then for the rest of the message this morning and for the entire message tonight, what is the importance of Christ's resurrection and what are some results of the fact that he did rise again? First of all, this morning, the reality of the Easter message. It is a fact. It really happened, folks. Christ Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, after he died on the cross, he was buried and he did rise again from the grave. It really happened. All four gospel books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of course, all four of the gospel books do record story, stories about the resurrection of Christ. And we're only going to look at two this morning, and I'm not preaching on either one of them. I just think it would be so important that today on Easter Sunday morning, if we're preaching a message as a pastor for the first time on Easter, 
preaching to people who know very little, maybe they've never read it before, surely we'd want to read at least one or two of the stories because it did happen. It's a reality. Go to Matthew 28, please, and follow along as I read the first 15 verses. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come. See the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, there shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Now when, they, now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priest all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if, and if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. That's Matthew's account. The story, it really happened, folks. Matthew tells us the story. Would you skip Mark, please, and skip Luke, and let's go to the Gospel of John. John, please, chapter 20. John, chapter 20 this morning, please. Beginning at verse 19. What a wonderful story to read. Please think, as Luke said this morning, while we sing, let's think about what we sing. Now as we read the powerful, eternal, true word of God, this awesome story, let's think, what are we reading here? Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Did you notice that? Walk through closed doors. Would you like to try that? When he had so said... What did he do? He showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, so send I you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Notice please verse 24. Got a little problem here. But Thomas... One of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, 
but believing. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Look at verse 29. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. When I read that verse, I think of a verse that I quoted this morning while I was having my devotions. John chapter 6, verse 30, when Jesus said, This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. We cannot see Jesus physically today, but with our spiritual eyes, through the wonderful, eternal, powerful word of God, we can say, we have seen the risen Christ. And Jesus said, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. What about the people that will never be able to see me, but will believe by faith? Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. So God says that Christ actually arose. These are true stories. And so every person on planet Earth has to decide as they hear or as they read for themselves the story and the word of God and the fact that Jesus rose again, every person has to decide, will I accept that as fact? Will I accept that as God's truth? Or will I say, or will I say that's just a make-believe story? It's just all fiction. It never happened. I want to say this, please. I choose to believe the word of God. Do you? The reality, the fact of the erection. Secondly, Many verses would fit into the category of the proofs of the Easter message. Uh, Luke is going to sing a special service. Now, you'll want to come back for this. If you don't want to come back and hear me preach, just come and hear him sing, okay? Luke's going to sing tonight, Were You There? And I thought about that as I was working on the message. No, I wasn't there. So when he sings tonight, Were you there when they crucified our Lord? I wasn't there. Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Wasn't there. Were you there when he rose up from the grave? Wasn't there. Were you there? None of us were there. Nobody on planet Earth was there. Were you there? No, we weren't there. But do we have any proofs of his resurrection? How are we supposed to believe it if we weren't there? The answer is we listen, we read the word of God, and we look at the proofs that God gives us in his word, and then we are faced with the decision, will I choose to believe these proofs indicate for sure that Christ did rise again, or will I say, not interested, not going there? The fact of the matter is, the Bible is God's infallible word, and it gives us many, many proofs. I'm not going to preach on all of them this morning, not even going to preach on some of them, but could I at least just list a few? Not all, could I just list a few, maybe make a comment or two about each one, we'll go right to the next one. Number one, proof number one, the empty tomb. His body was not there. I mean, there has to be some explanation that if the tomb was empty and they buried him there, then So where's the body? The tomb was empty. And you know, you've heard this before. Uh, Those who hated him, they would have gladly produced the body. Those who hated Christ, didn't like the empty tomb, heard the message that people were saying about he arose, he was alive. No, those who hated him, if they had the body, they would have produced the body. Number two, how about the grave clothes? The Bible says when Peter and John went to the sepulcher, uh, uh, John stood out and just looked inside not, not Peter. When he got there, he, he, he charged on the inside. What does it say he found? He found the, the, the linen clothes that were about his, around, about his body just lying neatly right there. And then the napkin that was about his head, was, it says wrapped separately, wrapped and, and put in a separate place. 
What about the grave clothes? Do they not testify? By the way, thieves, uh, they wouldn't have taken the wraps off the body. His disciples wouldn't have done that. And by the way, thieves don't usually um, put things in order when they leave, okay? Somebody in our church had their home broken into within the last year. I don't know, I don't know who was in it. I don't know how, how long it took them to get what they wanted. But I know one thing, it took this family days, if not weeks, to get everything back where it's supposed to be. We have the, the empty tomb and the grave clothes. Number three, what about the testimony of the angels? We read in Matthew 28 this morning. What did they say? They said, I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Did you get that? I know that you are here seeking Jesus, which was crucified. Ladies, he's not here. He is risen. What's the next sentence? What's the next phrase? As he said. That's uh, proof number four. The testimony of Jesus Christ. On several occasions, Jesus Christ told his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem, that he would be crucified, that he would rise again. Um, let me just read a few verses from Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, if you have your Bibles, it's verses 17 through 19. And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall what? He shall rise again. Jesus knew everything that was going to happen to him. He said, I'm going to go into Jerusalem. I'm going to be denied. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be crucified. But he also said, I'm going to rise again on the third day. And so the angels said to the women, I know you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just like he said. By the way, Jesus always does what he says he's going to do. The disciples had a hard time figuring that out. They had a hard time understanding what he meant when he said that. And then quite honestly, you know when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when actually Christ did rise again, they were not in a hurry to believe. That word unbelief is found there several times. But it is a fact. The angels said, he rose again just like he said. And Jesus had clearly said, I will rise again. Number five proof. How about his many appearances? We only read of a few this morning. The day he rose again, he appeared to many. He appeared to many followers for the next 40 days before he sent it back to his father. He appeared to individuals. He appeared to pairs like the two men walking on the road to Emmaus. That's uh, recorded in Luke, I think, chapter 23. He appeared to small groups. He appeared to his disciples. And then he appeared, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that he appeared to over 500 brethren at one time. And he said, most of them, by far most of them, are still alive. You can go talk to them. But he said, some of them have fallen asleep. What does that mean, taking a nap? No, some of them have already passed away. They've gone to be with their risen Lord. His many appearances. Number six proof. What he did after he showed, or what he did rather when he showed himself to his, uh, to his followers. Well, what did he do? Well, I just mentioned two things. Number one, he ate and drank with them. Luke tells us about that in Luke chapter 24. John tells us about that in John chapter 21. That Jesus Christ ate and drank with them. Why did he do that? 
What did he say? Uh, 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 a spirit doesn't, uh, doesn't eat and drink like you see me do. So it doesn't happen, okay? So it was a proof that not only did he rise again, it was not a spiritual resurrection. It is a physical, bodily resurrection. And he shows himself alive, but he eats and drinks with his disciples to prove that. Number two, we already read in John's gospel, he showed them his hands and his side. In one other account, it says he showed them his hands and his feet. What did he say to Thomas? Touch me. Go ahead. Touch me. Put your hand into my side. Be not without faith, but believing. What did he say in Luke's gospel? He said to his disciples, handle me and see, for, for uh, spirit hath not flesh and bones like you see me have. So he appears to his followers. Doesn't just make an appearance, show he's alive, and go off. No, no. He eats and drinks with them. He shows them his hands, his feet, his side. Proof number seven. What about the witness of his followers? Their verbal witness. Their changed lives. Their death. Most of Christ's disciples died by martyrdom. Why would they do that? Unless they knew that Christ was truly alive. Why would they do that just because there was an empty tomb with no explanation? Why would they do that if Christ's body just like disappeared, but nobody knew where he was? Nobody had seen him ever since. You don't die for that. You die because you know that the one that you were with, that you knew, that you saw, that you heard preach, the one you saw crucified, the one you knew was buried, also you now, you knew now 100% this Christ is alive. That's the person you die for. That's the cause. Number eight, the observance of a new day of worship. Sunday. The first people that began to worship on Sunday were not Gentiles, really. They're Jewish believers, Jewish Christians, who were for all of their life following the law and worshiping on Saturday, the Sabbath. And now you read in the book of Acts and in the epistles where the focus is put on the first day of the week. By the way, that's why we come to church every Sunday, not just one day a year. Because Christ arose on the first day of the week. The observance of Sunday as the Lord's Day, not the Old Testament Sabbath Saturday, is just another proof that Christ arose. And finally, one more proof. The scriptures to which Jesus directed his followers, I believe, is the final proof. Would you take your Bible, please, and go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, the last chapter of Luke. There are two, there are more than two, but there are two stories of Christ's resurrection, his appearances to his followers in Luke chapter 24. The first one is his talking with the two men on the road to Emmaus. They were walking, they had all kinds of questions, they were discouraged, they were totally confused, they thought the Messiah that had come had now uh, been crucified, they knew he was crucified, they knew he was dead, but now some women were talking about the fact that he was, he was alive and they didn't know what to think. Christ walks along with them, he talks to them, and I want you to look, please, at verse 25. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Now look at verse 27. How, how is he going to convince them 
that it is he, he is Jesus, he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he, won, he is the one that was crucified, but now he's alive. What the women were saying was true. How's he going to convince him? What's the conclusive proofs? proof? Verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things, next two words please, out loud, concerning himself. He took him to the scriptures. Oh, same chapter, verse 12, uh, Luke 24. Look, please, if you will, at verse, uh, let's go to uh, 40. Let's start at verse 40. He's meeting with his disciples now. When he had, said, when he had thus spoken, he showed unto them his hands and his feet. We know why he did that, don't we? Print of the nails there. While they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, I mean, they are so totally confused. They still don't know what to think. They're hoping, but they're not quite sure. They're not fully convinced. He says, well, do you have here any meat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish in a honeycomb, and he took it, and they'd eat before them. And he said unto them, now listen to this, watch this. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written where? In the law of Moses and in the prophets And in the Psalms, next two words, concerning me. Now, I don't have time to go into a long explanation here. But in that day, if you took Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, you would have the entire Old Testament. I mean, he's he's mentioning, he's saying, look, all through the Old Testament scriptures, there are verses about me. Oh, he's not finished. Look at verse 45. Look what it says. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the what? The scripture, I mean, when it's all said and done, as I said, none of us were there. We weren't there. If you or I or anybody else is ever going to believe that Christ Jesus rose again, and that that is very, very important with tremendous results, it's going to come through a knowledge of the word of God. Old Testament scriptures, all the prophecies, oh, listen, I wish they had an hour to preach. Go to the book of Acts. I know you don't. I do. Uh, go to the book of Acts and read the messages of those who preach in Acts. And often you will find it takes the people, takes the hearers back to the Old Testament scriptures and said, what did the psalmist said? What does it say back there? We'll have to take the Bible because Romans ten seventeen says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then this morning, what about the importance What about the results of the Easter message? What does the Bible say about that? We're going to combine, I said, those two points, the third and fourth point. First point, the reality of Easter. Secondly, the proofs of the Easter message. And now the importance, the importance, the results of the Easter message. I want to share with you three this morning and then four tonight. And the three that I want to share this morning, again, would be the three, if I had to pick out, the three most important reasons that Christ arose, the effect that it has on all mankind, what results could it have and should it have, can it have in our lives? If I had to pick out three and only three, I would pick out the three that I want to share for the rest of the message this morning. And tonight, the Lord willing, we'll look at four more. Number one, because Christ arose. Number one, we can be assured it is a fact that he is and was and forever will be God himself. The deity of Jesus Christ is in his resurrection. Would you go please?
to the book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Chapter 1, please, would you notice the first four verses. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Can I summarize that? Jesus was fully man. Jesus was a human being. Look at verse 4. This same Jesus, who was fully human, he was declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness. How? Out loud together, please. By the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ set forth, openly manifested, revealed, declared to be the Son of God, God himself. How especially? By the resurrection of his body from the grave. You know, there are several proofs of Jesus' deity. Again, I don't have time to preach on these. Could I just list some? He was virgin born. Only one who's ever been virgin born. His virgin birth proves he's God. His divine names prove he's God. Like Emmanuel, God with us. Son of God, Lord. Jesus' sinless life. The fact that he never thought a wrong thought. Never said a wrong word. Never did a wrong deed. His sinless life. That's a proof of his deity. All the attributes of deity that he had. For example, his omniscience. How many times do we read in the Gospels and Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said he's God. Number five, he accepted worship. He never rebuked a person who worshipped him. He always accepted worship. Why can he do that? Because only God should be worshipped. Number six, he forgave men's sins. Would you like to try that? We can't forgive anybody's sins. We can't do that. Jesus Christ, over and over again, forgave people's sins. Scribes and Pharisees didn't like that. He said, it's not any harder for me to forgive somebody's sins than to say, arise and walk. He's God. He performed many miracles in and of his own power. Oh, by the way, another one, he claimed to be God. So, well, that's not a proof. Oh, that, that certainly is evidence. We must at least listen to what he said, like things like, I and my Father are one. Things like, he that seeth me has seen the Father. Before Abraham was, I am. I mean, over and over and over again, he claimed to be Almighty God. Now, that's either true, or he's the greatest liar who ever lived. And when you read the word of God, you read Romans 1.4, he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. His bodily resurrection, I believe, is the greatest proof of the person of Jesus Christ. All these other proofs, it's all a part of the whole entire picture. But when it's all said and done, if Jesus Christ, who said he was God, who said he would rise again after he was crucified, if he remained dead and never rose again, we could not accept the fact that he was God in human flesh. What happened one day? Some men came to him, and they said, by what authority do you do these things? I mean, who, who do you think that you are? I mean, where did you get the power to do what you're doing? Who are you anyway? And by what authority do you speak? And Jesus said, it's recorded in Matthew's gospel. Jesus said, you want a sign? 
An evil and adulterous generation does not, does not get a sign. They seek a sign. He said, there shall be no sign given unto this generation but one. Did you know what that sign was? Listen to what he said. As Jonah was in the whale's belly three days and came forth, so shall the Son of Man be three days in the heart of the earth and come forth. You want a sign? You want a sign that proves who I am? You want a sign that proves why I say what, why what I say is true? You want a sign that what I do, I do by the finger of God, I do because I am God? I'll tell you a sign. The only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah the prophet. Out of God's will, running away from me, thrown overboard, swallowed by a whale, in the heart of the whale, in the belly of the whale for three days, vomited out, came forth and ministered. So likewise shall the Son of Man be three days in the heart of the earth and shall come forth. So number one, why is Easter important? Because it's an absolute proof that Jesus is God. Number two, we have a gospel, we have a good news to believe ourselves, and we have a gospel to proclaim. Without the resurrection of Christ, we have no gospel. You say, how can you prove that's true? All right, we're in the book of Romans. Go to the next book. Right after Romans comes 1 Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 1. Moreover, brethren, Paul said, I declare it unto you the, next word please, gospel. Euangelion's the Greek word. What does it mean? Good news, glad tidings. He said, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. And then in verses 3 and 4, he is going to clearly define the gospel. What is the gospel? What is the good news? You say, well, I have a friend and I, I made a gospel presentation. Well, what did you tell your friend? You say, I'm going to witness to a guy at work. I'm going to give him the gospel. What is the gospel? Verses 3 and 4. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the what? The scriptures. What is the gospel? The gospel is Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The gospel is Christ who was dead. He died for our sins. He was buried. He really did die. And the gospel is that Christ rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And I've said this before in our church. I'll say it again. Many gospel tracts are really not gospel tracts. Every time I read a gospel tract, I always look to say, I think, okay, if this person is not a believer, he's not a Christian, he doesn't know anything about the Bible, doesn't know anything about how to be saved, would this tract give him the gospel? If there's nothing in there about Christ arose, technically it's not a gospel tract. When I listen to a person's testimony, how a person was saved, if there's nothing even about the resurrection of Christ, nothing about Christ being alive, nothing about Christ uh, rising from the dead, Praying to a living Christ because the Bible says he's alive. Frankly, it's not a good testimony. The gospel is Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And by the way, go to the book of Acts. Don't do it now. Go to the book of Acts and read the messages in Acts. And you will always find message after message after message. The main focal point of the message is Christ who died for sinners was buried and rose again, just like God said he would. The resurrection of Christ. Oh, we're in 1 Corinthians 15. 
In my Bible, I've got to flip over the page. Look, please, if you will, at verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not raised. Then is Christ not risen. Now watch this. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is vain also. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if the dead, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, look at this, your faith is vain, you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But look at verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead. What's he saying? Look, there is no gospel message unless Christ rose again. There is no salvation. There is no forgiveness of sins. There is no escape from judgment from hell. There is no heaven to gain and no hell to lose. There is no good news if Christ did not rise again. It's a part of the gospel. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Listen, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus as the Lord, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved, verse 10. For with a mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And with a heart, for the heart, man believeth unto what righteousness. And with a mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Peter said in preaching to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, speaking of Jesus, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive what? The remission of sins, the forgiveness of sins. What had he just told these people? He had just said Christ was crucified and Christ was alive and we are his witnesses. By the way, the most familiar verse in all the Bible, you know it, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Remember verse 17? For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. 18, he that believeth on him, on Jesus Christ, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So why is Christ's resurrection so important? I think the most important reason is it proves that he is God. Number two, without it, we have no gospel to believe and we have no gospel to proclaim. Jesus said to, uh, to the, his disciples, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news to every creature. When did he say that? Right after he rose again before he went back to heaven. Number three this morning and we're done. And I don't think a lot of people have ever thought about this. I think it's a very, very important thing for every person to hear from the Bible. It goes like this. All mankind, all men everywhere, will one day be judged because Jesus Christ will be the judge of all mankind. And listen now, a dead Jesus can't get up on the throne and judge anybody. Can't happen. Go quickly, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 5. John, chapter 5. 
Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, we read these words, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, can you finish it? But after this, the judgment. Not twice, not three times, not four times, die, no, no reincarnation. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Did Jesus say anything about judgment? Did he say anything about himself being the judge? John, chapter 5. Look at verse 26. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he also given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Did you get that? This is Jesus saying this now before he went to the cross. Before he rose again, he said, The Father hath given the Son. God my Father has given me authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Look at verse 22. Same chapter, verse 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Jesus said, the Father judges no man. Jesus has committed, he's entrusted all judgment unto the Son. And according to the word of God, there are two main final judgments. And every person will be at one of those two judgments. Number one, it is called the judgment seat of Christ. You read about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Who's the all there? All Christians. There will be no unsaved people of that judgment. It is a judgment not about heaven or hell. It's a judgment about eternal rewards based on faithfulness with proper motivation. The judgment seat of Christ. Jesus will be the judge. And then the last final judgment recorded in the Bible in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, it's called the great white throne judgment. And Jesus, once again, will be the judge. There'll be no Christians there. This is a judgment for all lost people, all unsaved, for all mankind who have never had their sins forgiven. They've never received the gift of everlasting life. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life, was cast into, can you finish it? The lake of fire. That's judgment, folks. And Jesus Christ, the one whose bodily resurrection is being celebrated all over the world today by millions of people who have, for the most part, no idea what it's all about. Jesus Christ is alive. Alive to one day be the judge of all mankind. In closing, would you go to the fifth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Would you go to Acts 17? Acts chapter 17. Paul, missionary evangelist, preaching to Greeks on Mars Hill. He says something about judgment. As usual, he's preaching that Christ is alive. He includes the resurrection. Look what he says in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. And the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now God commands all men everywhere to, next word please, repent. To think over again. To change your mind about yourself. To change your mind about your sin. To change your mind about what you think about judgment and life after death and heaven and hell and so forth. And how do you get saved? No, 
God commands all men everywhere to leave their sin and truly come to Christ. Why? Look at verse 30. Don't ever miss this now. Verse 31. Easter Sunday, here it is. Because he, God, hath appointed, he hath chosen, he hath selected a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. It'll be a fair, just, righteous judgment. He's going to do that? Yeah. By whom? By that man whom he hath ordained, God hath carefully picked and chose the judge because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men. How? How did, what did God ever do to prove to the world that Jesus Christ is going to be the judge of all men? Look what it says, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Every person needs to hear this. Not just Christ arose, everything's fine now. Just go on your way. No, no, Christ arose. You know why? Because the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. And the Bible says it's appointed to men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And the Bible says the wicked shall be turned into hell. But Jesus Christ came to die, to rise again, so we could have a gospel, so we could have good news to proclaim, good news to believe. Why? Because the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be what? Saved. I really wanted to go a whole day without even using the word virus, okay? How many times do you think the word virus has been spoken or written about in the last month in the world? Really, millions of times. Virus. How about the word death or dead? You can't even turn on the news or get your phone and go to any news story. You're going to find that, that word death, dead, Virus. I mean, it's in our face over and over and over. And every time without fail, I think, you know something? The world doesn't get it. There's this thing called sin. Everybody's been tested. You know, we don't know if they're going to get the test. How soon can they get the test? What's the test going to reveal? Okay, I understand. What about sin? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all been tested. And you know what? We all have it. We've all got the virus. Then that Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Why do people die? Because we're sinners. Now listen, you know this is true. Most of us, perhaps none of us, perhaps none of us today in the auditorium, perhaps nobody on Facebook, perhaps nobody will die from the coronavirus. It's possible. Nobody will ever die from it. But it is a fact that everybody who listens is a sinner. And we're all going to die physically unless Christ comes back for his Christians. Then there's this thing called eternal death. And that becomes a whole lot more serious than any virus. Amen? It really is. We're all guilty. We're all condemned to die. And Jesus Christ will be the final judge. But he doesn't have to be our judge he wants to be our Savior. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he's the only way. He's not one of many ways. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No man comes to the Father 
by me. Whether you're here in the auditorium or perhaps at home or someplace else, would you bow your heads, please, for just a moment? What have you personally done with Jesus Christ? If you die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? It's not going to happen like this, but if you died today and an angel was to meet you at the gate of heaven and say, heaven and say why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? What would you say? Because your answer reveals in what or whom you're trusting. Would you say, oh, oh God, I, I, I went to a good church. Oh, God, I was baptized when I was like seven years old. Oh, God, I had a, I had a wonderful mom and dad. They were, they were good Christians. In, in fact, I didn't just go to church. I was, I was a member of a church. I, I gave money to charity. I mean, would, would you just start telling God frantically anything, everything you've ever done so he would let you in? No, it's not going to work like that. It's not going to happen like that. But your answer would reveal what you're trusting in. So where's your faith today? In yourself? Some good deed? Something about you? Some merit? Some hope? Or would you say, I am a Christian because I've been saved the Bible way. I saw myself as a lost sinner needing a Savior. And somebody told me the good news. Somebody told me the gospel, or I read it in the Bible, or a gospel tract. I saw in the scriptures that Jesus, as God himself, paid the sacrifice on Calvary for my sins. And after he was buried, he rose again the third day, ascended back to heaven. And there was a time in my life when I left all confidence, all trust in anything or anyone else, and I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he saved me. If you haven't done that, why don't you do it right now? Whoever you are, wherever you are, why don't you, in the quietness of this moment, why don't you pray a simple prayer of faith to Christ? I'll not give you certain words to say. It's not your prayer that saves you. It's your trust. It's your faith in the one to whom you're speaking. Why don't you acknowledge at least that you are a sinner and that you need to be saved? Why don't you thank him for what he did for you in dying for your sins and rising again the third day? Why don't you tell him that you're trusting him? You are leaving all hope and trust in anyone and anything else. You're trusting him and him alone. Ask him to forgive your sins. Commit your eternal soul to him. Believe on him. That's what the Bible word believe means, to rest in, to rely upon, to trust in, to put your faith in. And then thank him for hearing your prayer, your cry. Thank him for forgiving your sins, for giving you everlasting life. And by the way, if you did that, would you somehow or other let me know? A text, phone call, a letter, whatever. Just get in touch with me. Let me know that you were saved. This way. We had a girl in our church was saved last week. Gave her a little testimony in, in Sunday school class, Facebook Live, that she was saved during the week. Praise the Lord. Is that you today? Were you saved this morning, Father? We thank you for your word. We thank you for your eternal son, his person and his work 
for our salvation. We thank you, Father, that now we have no fear of death. We have no fear of judgment. We have no fear of eternal hell, all because Jesus Christ died for our sins. And after he was buried, he rose again. That we might have good news, your plan of salvation, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, once again, thank you if you've joined us today on Facebook Live. If you're here in the auditorium, we really appreciate your attendance today. And I pray that if you're able to, that you'll join us again tonight as we have our evening service at 6 o'clock.